my name is Andy Reid. I'm with the Evangelical Development Ministry. And our mission is to help organizations and missionaries in the areas of financial stewardship, developing resources for a life of ministry and, uh, and life. I want to begin just opening with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together today. We ask that you would bless it. Father, we ask that you would guide and direct our discussions. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together and uh, to look at some of the principles that you've given to us through your word that help us to develop resources for life and ministry. We realize that you are the giver of all gifts. And Father, it's not our responsibility but uh, to, to, to raise the funds it's our responsibility to present the opportunity and, Father, let your Holy Spirit work in the lives of men and women to partner with us in your ministry. Well, Father, we thank you now for this time and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, By way of introduction, I want to talk about three kinds of thinking. Uh, That is Great Commission thinking, faith thinking, and principle thinking. We talk about Great Commission thinking. You're going to hear me refer to the term Ministry Partnership Development, or MPD. Uh, Ministry Partnership Development is a way of raising funds for a life of ministry and uh, developing resources. First of all, we have to realize that ministry partnership development is a ministry. This may seem a little strange to some of you who said, well, I've always raised funds so I can have a ministry. I would submit to you that if you follow the principles in God's word, developing a ministry partnership team is a ministry. It's a different kind of ministry in that you have a ministry to those who God has called to partner with you but it's similar to the kind of ministry you have to the target audience that God has called you to minister to. It's, so it's not something you do in order to have a ministry, but rather that it is a ministry. And it's part of getting people involved in the Great Commission. Secondly is faith thinking in that we need to believe God, that he is the, the giver of all good gifts And he owns it all, which we'll talk about in a minute. So we believe that if God has called us to ministry as either a short-term missionary or a career ministry missionary, he is going to provide the resources for us. And we have to work as unto the Lord, realizing, again, that he is the one who causes a person to partner with us. Uh, For those of you that are coming in, there's some outlines over here if you want to pick those, those up. Third is principle thinking. There's two kinds of principles that we deal with in life. One are techniques. That's the way we tend to do things, uh, where principles are the basis for our success. And so if you're looking for what is the long-term success, the techniques, while they're useful, are not what's going to determine the success. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 10 to 19, uh, The whole book of Philippians is a thank you letter from Paul to those who supported his ministry. Uh, He said that the Philippians were concerned for him, but they lacked opportunity. He said the Philippians did well to share with him when they did, 
when they did have opportunity. And the Philippians sent a gift more than once for his needs. And so Paul wrote about the motivation that he was dealing with in this, in this book, and particularly about giving. His motivation was not to seek the gift itself, but rather, he says, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. So one of the facets that we have to realize is that this is a spiritual activity. It is a ministry, and we're not just raising funds to pay for our salary, but rather we are getting people involved in the Great Commission, and the profit would go to their account. Paul also said, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. And he said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we could spend almost the whole time just talking about this, but I want to give that to you as a foundation. Now, there's five principles for raising funds. First is to realize that God owns it all. Uh, We don't own anything. Even though we talk about our car, our house, our bank account, uh, believe me, it's, it's not ours. He owns it all. We are stewards over what he owns. And that's true of people that you will be approaching to becoming ministry partners with you. Which leads us to the second point, and that is Christians are givers. And we'll talk more about that in in a few minutes. So we should not be afraid to approach other believers to become partners with us in the ministry. Thirdly, God wants me to ask. Paul said you lacked opportunity. Part of our role in ministry in raising funds is to ask people to give them the opportunity to become ministry partners with us in what God's called us to do. Fourthly, what I sow, I will reap. And I'll probably step on some toes here, but there's two points to this. One is, if you work sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you work hard, you're going to reap bountifully. But also, the other side of that coin is, if you're not giving... Don't expect other people to give to you. So you need to be sowing if you want to be reaping as well. And then fifthly, our Father has an abundant supply. What I mean by that is if you approach somebody, it's not a question of addition and subtraction. That, oh, if this person supports me, they're going to stop supporting someone else. No, God's resources are infinite, and so it's always an expansion of the pie, not a different allocation of the slice of the pie, if you would. So his resources have no limits. The first key that I want to talk about in this ministry partnership development is to realize that people have a need to give. Now, you're not going to get a test, but we are going to have just a quick quiz. How many people remember Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol? Okay, some of you passed, some of you didn't. There are three main characters, Tiny Tim, Bob Cratchit, and and Scrooge. Who was the abnormal one of the three? I know this is tough. Come on. Huh? Scrooge was. Why was he the abnormal one? He had no capacity to give. See, for the most part, you're going to be approaching people that are the Tiny Tims and the Bob Cratchits. They are going to be givers, especially if they're Christians. So we have to realize that people have a need to give, and that need to give is greater than any person's or organization's need to receive. All right? 
So as background when it comes to that is to realize that we have been created in God's image. Now, one, what's one characteristic of God? He's a giving God, right? He gave us his son. So if God, one of the characteristics of God is he's a, he's a giving God, then we're created in his image, then what about other Christians? They're like us. They're also created in his image, and they have the same character of giving. So God is a giving God. We need to realize that. Now, in this first principle of ministry partnership development, I want to talk about ten reasons why people need to give or why people give. Not all of these are going to be biblical reasons, but if you don't realize what the person's motivation is, you probably will not make the connection as easily as possible. First of all is people want to be a partner in something that they see as valuable. They want to be a partner in something they see as valuable. Now, part of that means is you've got to be prepared to share your ministry, share your calling, share the motivation that God has put on your heart. That way people will see the value of what you're going to be doing. And then they will want to become a partner with you in that endeavor. Secondly, people will give to participate vicariously. Not everyone can go. They may have geographic limitations. They may have relational uh, limitations. For right now, for the last year and a half, uh, my father-in-law has been living with us. That restricts my wife's ability to go with me on the field because she's become the primary caregiver. But she can participate vicariously through the support and through the giving that she, that she supplies. There are many other people like that as well. Some people have the resources, but not the time. So they participate vicariously through their gifts. Thirdly, they want to see a specific purpose accomplished. And they see what you're doing as important. They see the purpose of what you're doing as important, whether it's reaching people for Christ, touching them physically, through the the medical training that you've had, whatever that is, they see that purpose as something that they want to see accomplished, and so they give to help that become a a, a reality. Thirdly, they give because they want to achieve or maintain a sense of self-worth. In other words, they want to be seen as someone who's generous and giving, and that makes them feel better about themselves. Fifthly, it's because they love Christ. And this is a way that they see as being able to give back to him. Okay? Six, they want to meet a specific need. Now, somebody's going to say, well, isn't that the same as a specific purpose? No. Now we're talking about a particular need, whether it's to, you know, supply medicine, to meet some physical need or financial need that you have as a full-time or a part-time vocational missionary, or even a short-term missionary. They want to see that need met, so they give to help meet that need, which means that you need to be able to share that need with people. Number seven, they give because they receive a blessing. In other words, they'll, they'll tell you, 
I can't outgive God, but when I give, I get so blessed, I want to give more. And so they give because of the blessing that they receive. Eight, they give for financial security reasons. Now, there's two sides of a coin here. The first one is a biblical one. They want to honor God with their gifts. And they believe that as they honor God with their gifts, he will see them as faithful stewards and reward them, give them more. The Bible says that if we're faithful, he's going to be faithful to us. Now, I'm not talking about giving to get for ourselves, but I'm talking about the ability whereby people give and God sees them as a worthy steward, and so he gives them more to have stewardship over. The other side of that coin is they give out of fear. And as they're, they're afraid that if they don't give, God will quit giving to them. Again, this would not be a biblical motivation, but this is what motivates some people to give. Number nine, they just have an intrinsic need to give. Okay? Uh, a number of years ago, an individual by the name of Jerome Panis wrote a book about people who had made gifts of a million dollars or more. And when he was asked, when he asked them what motivated them to make that gift, they indicated that it was just a need that they had. But they then very quickly followed that up is with saying, and because someone asked me to give. So they had a need to give, and then they were given the opportunity to give. They were asked to, to give. Okay? Now, dealing with that, giving requires asking. I don't know about you, but uh, I've been involved in ministry for about 40 years now. I know I don't look it, uh, but trust me, it's been there. I started at a very early age. Very few times in my life have I had someone walk up to me and say, here, let me give this to you, just out of the blue. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was speaking at a missions conference, and a lady walked up to me and handed me a $20 bill, said, here, I want to give this to you for your ministry. Even though I didn't ask her, the pastor asked her, because he said to the congregation, if you'd like to make a love gift, you can put it in the basket. Well, she didn't have time to put it in the basket, so just she handed it to me directly. But that gift was motivated because someone asked. So giving requires asking. Next is that the more specific you are, the more believable you are. So you want to be specific. If I were to tell you that for every $25, one person would be ministered to through our outreach, what would you think about that? You might be impressed. Uh, you might think that's fairly reasonable to, uh, return on investment. But if I were to say for every $23.38 on average we see one person come to Christ, which is more believable? The, obviously the latter because it's very specific. You know that there had to be some research in order to come up with that figure. So the more specific you are, the more believable you are. The third key is there's a need to ask often. What I mean by this is many of you have 
deferred gifts. In other words, people that you've ministered to over the years. You're dealing in short-term missions. You're probably involved in ministering to people through your church, through a Bible study group, and you've built into people's lives. Likewise, if you're in full-time vocational ministry, you've probably done the same thing. They're looking for a way to give back to you. And so I say that you have deferred gifts, that when they're asked, they're ready, willing, and able to give to meet the need that you, that you have. But you have to be careful that you don't overdo the asks because there's a thing that we call the frequency of the ask. Let me illustrate that for you. If I see my friend John once a year and I call him up and I say, John, I'm coming out to uh, Tyler and I'd like to have lunch with you. He says, okay. So I take him to lunch. I tell him about this wonderful ministry opportunity. I say, John, wouldn't you and your wife like to invest in this ministry? And he, being the generous individual that he is, he says yes. So he writes out a check. He doesn't hear from me for another 12 months. I call him up and say, hey, John, I'm coming out to your area. How about having lunch? He says, okay. Same, go through the same thing. Again, he makes a gift. Doesn't hear anything from me for the rest of the year. Three, third year, I call him up and say, hey, John, I'm coming out to have lunch. What's his impression of me? Come on, don't just laugh. The only time he ever hears from me is when I want money, right? And so for those of you, especially those of you that are career, uh, full-time vocational missionaries, be careful that the only time that your ministry partners don't hear from you is when you want money. Make sure that there's other communications. Now, let me give you a different illustration. I go, I go and see my friend Dean uh, at least once a month, and we go out to lunch. We have a great time. We have a great relationship. Uh, we have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of interests that are the same. Once a year, I share this ministry opportunity with my friend Dean. And Dean says, yes, uh, my wife and I would like to invest in that, and he writes out a check. For the next 11 months, we keep going out for lunch and having a good time. Twelfth month runs around, and I ask him for a gift again. Same thing happens the next year. What's his impression of me? It's, it's, we have a relationship. It's part of the relationship. We're friends. But the frequency of the ask is exactly the same. I ask both of them one time a year for a gift. The difference is the frequency of the ask is impacted by the other relationships or the other contacts that I have with them. And thirdly, ask for many causes and opportunities that you have. I've talked to a lot of donors over the years who say, you know, I was talking to so-and-so the other day, and we've been supporters of his for 15 years. We never knew that he did this part of the ministry. And we've been given over here which we'll continue to do, but we want to invest in that part of his ministry as well. So we increased his support. You see, God puts different burdens on people's hearts and lives, and it's important to you that you share as many of the causes that you're involved with and the opportunities so they can respond accordingly. You also need to ask for increased commitment and participation. This is especially true of younger generations. 
Younger generations don't give because it's the right thing to do. Okay? My generation, my mother's generation, we did because that's what we were trained to do. It was the right thing to do. But younger generations are giving where they're involved. So if you want to say, how do we get younger people involved financially with the ministry, you've got to give them opportunities to participate. All right, everybody with me? All right. Now, what are some barriers to our asking? I I would venture to say there's not one person in here that says, I just love asking people for money. Is there anybody that? Okay. See me afterwards. Most of the time, we, we, we are a little cautious about asking people for money. First of all, one of the barriers is fear of rejection. We're afraid they're going to say no. All right? And we'll talk about how to get over that. But the opportunity for them to give is not to give to you. It's to give to the ministry. Give to the Great Commission. Honor the Lord with those, those gifts. So if they say no, it's kind of like sharing Christ. You know, my responsibility is to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Leave the results to God. If they say no, they're not saying no to me. They're saying no to God. Same is true when you're asking them to become involved financially in ministry. Secondly, we may feel intimidated. I would submit to you that the majority of people that you're going to be talking with are going to be Christians. If they're not Christians, they're at least people that are motivated by humanitarian needs. So we should not feel intimidated because these people are motivated to be involved. As I talk to people about this, I'll say, how do you feel about your own giving? Oh, I love to give. Well, what, what makes you think the other person is going to feel differently? So we shouldn't feel intimidated. And then thirdly, we don't know how to challenge people appropriately to give. What I mean by that is you never ask a person to support the ministry. You always ask them about the timing of supporting the ministry. Somebody's saying, aren't you splitting hairs? Yeah, a little bit. But it makes a difference. Because if I say, Jack, would you like to support the ministry for $100 a month? And he says no. He's made a value judgment on whether or not supporting the ministry is important to him. But if I say, Jack, do you feel God is leading you to to be involved in supporting the ministry for $100 a month at this time? Pardon me. And he says no. He's really saying no to the timing of the gift, which leaves the door open to go back at a later time and say, is now a better time for you to consider becoming a ministry partner uh, with us? So we need to know how to challenge people appropriately. Next, people give primarily for emotional reasons, but they justify their giving with logic. They give primarily for emotional reasons, but they justify their giving with logic. What I mean by that is God has created us as emotional beings. 
Consider the rich young ruler. He went to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. What does the Bible say about his response? Anybody know? He went away sad. See, there was an emotional response. Now, I'm not talking about emotionalism, where you play on people's emotions. But you have to realize that people are going to make a decision emotionally, and then they'll justify it with logic. I like this person. I like this organization. I like the results that they have. That's all justifying it with logic. But the emotional part of it is what impacts them directly in terms of what they're being asked to consider. Next, people like to give for future plans. Therefore, we need to have a plan. If your mission or ministry or organization has a plan, you better know what that plan is and be able to explain that plan to other people. Because people want to know, what is it in the future that I'm going to become involved with? If all you're talking about is the past, that's good, but it just gives credibility, but it doesn't motivate current or major gifts. Future plans are what motivate people to make current or future gifts. I'm sure you've all heard at one time or another that, you know, when it comes to investing in the stock market, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Same thing is true here. Well, that's great. That organization has, has had great results, which gives credibility, but it doesn't guarantee anything in the future. So people want to know, what is your plan? What is it that God is calling you to do? That's going to, what's going to motivate current gifts or major gifts. Next, people like to give what they are expected to give. Somebody's saying, what do you mean by that? If I were to say to Paul here, Paul, when we're finished, I need a ride. Would you give me a ride? Okay, they see the emotional response. Sure. But then, but then, but then, what's the next question? How far do you want to go? Where do you want to go? You know, because if I tell him I want him to drive me back to Dallas tonight, he may reconsider that. All right. Well, the same is true with giving. If people don't know what you're asking them to specifically do, they may not know how to respond. A whatever you can do is a recipe for failure. If somebody says, you know, if you don't ask appropriately and they say, well, you know, what are you, what are you asking me to give? How much are you asking me to give? And you say, well, whatever you can do is fine with me. I venture to say if they pulled out a dollar bill and gave it to you, you'd be a little disappointed because they would not have met your expectations. I had a friend one time that I was helping him in this area, and he was having trouble raising his support. And I said, come give me your presentation. He did a great job giving me the presentation until he got down to the close, the ask. And it was general in nature, and I said to him, so, you know, what do people generally give? And he said, well, I've got people that give $5 a month, and I've got people that give $1,000 a month. Jump in wherever you feel comfortable. I said, you know, this is not a swimming pool. I'm not jumping in wherever I feel comfortable. That's such a broad range. 
I have no idea what your, what your expectations are. But I'd like to know what they are so I could meet them. When people are asked to give less than they're able, they're generally embarrassed. Because they're saying to themselves, gee, he or she doesn't think I'm very capable of giving. 9.99% of the time, 99.99% of the time, they are not going to say, well, you know, I could give double what you just mentioned. They're going to say, okay, I can do what you just mentioned. They may be a little embarrassed. If they're asked to give more than they're able, people are generally flattered, as long as it's within reason. We uh, were working with an individual one time, prepping him to go in and talk to a foundation about a gift. We shared with him what the assets of the foundation were, how much they gave on average every year. He got involved in the, in the meeting, involved in his presentation. He got so excited, he asked him for more money than they had assets in the foundation. They were not flattered. Okay, that's a little bit different because they know that all that information is public knowledge. But you've, what my experience has been in raising support for as many years as I have is that if people are asked to stretch a little bit, they will do that to try to meet your expectation as long as it's within reason. The fourth key is asking for referrals. You always need to be prospecting. I've seen people over the years, you know, the economy is cyclical. You know, it comes in cycles. If you're not prospecting all the time and developing future ministry partners, when you get to that downturn, you're going to be short on support. So one of your goals ought to be to always have qualified leads that could be seen personally under favorable conditions. If you're going to be and achieve superior results, prospecting must become as natural as breathing. I'm constantly adding new people to our mailing list that I want to develop a relationship with that I can go see at some future time and ask them to become ministry partners. All right. So how do you ask for referrals? Well, one would be by suggesting categories. Dr. Smith, are there two or three other physicians that you work with down at the hospital that would share our vision for? Okay, that's suggesting a category. Whereas if you just say, Dr. Smith, who do you know? The response is going to be, I don't know, give me some time to think about it. <clears throat> but if you give them categories, they're almost always going to come up with a couple names they can give you. Secondly, asking for referrals using a directory. They say, I'm a member of uh, XYZ Church. Is it possible you have a church directory that you might flip through to see if there's two or three people there that you fellowship with that would share our mutual concern and burden for whatever your mission is? Or referrals by suggesting categories, which I got ahead of myself there. Using a pre-compiled list. I'm sure some of you have had people say, you know, I've heard, you know, Jack Smith is a very uh, generous giver. He's very wealthy. You ought to go see Jack Smith. Well, I don't know Jack Smith. 
Well, I don't either, but I, I just heard he's really good. You ought to call him and find out. Well, one of the things is put him on a pre-compiled list. And so when you meet with other people, you would say, you know, I've got three or four names here that people have suggested that I contact. I don't know them, but would you mind looking at this list and see if you have a relationship with them? Because generally there's going to be people that you're going to run into that they know the person, even though they may not know the person's ability to be involved. Just real quickly, I was helping a small Christian school, and they were doing a building campaign. They gave me a pre-compiled list. And I looked at that list, and I saw a name there. Name of my son's soccer coach. And I said, you know, I can't guarantee it, but I'd venture to say that's probably my son's soccer coach. So the next time we had practice, after the practice was over, I said to the coach, hey, coach, I was talking to so-and-so, and before I even got finished, he said, yes, that's me. And so then we had a, an opportunity to talk about uh, the involvement that I had with this group, opened the door for them. They had an appointment. He set up an appointment. They got a $10,000 gift. So, so using pre-compiled lists are, are important. What you have to remember is prospecting is the lifeblood of ministry. You have to realize God is going to call people to move on. God is going to call people home. People are going to run into some kind of financial. And if you don't have new prospects to deal with, you're going to find yourself short of what needs you have. So you always want to be contacting people with the ability or the capacity to give, and the desire. Just because a person has money doesn't mean that they're willing to give it. If they don't have the desire to go along with the capacity. So a good prospector with a well-organized, active reservoir building file will have to work hard to find all the time necessary to contact, to work with all the prospects that they have. And in times like these, the messenger is important. You always want to find a third-party endorsement that will increase givers' confidence and excitement about your ministry. That's why referrals are important. Because someone calling up a friend saying, I'd like for you to sit down and meet with Andy Reid, then his credibility or her credibility goes along with me when I meet with that person. And in today's economy, that's, that's important. The fifth key is love. It determines how quickly you raise your support. It also determines how well you maintain your support. If you don't have love for the people that are ministering with you as ministry partners, it's going to be a very difficult road to hoe. Okay? But I would submit to you, ask God to give you a real sense of love for these people, you're going to find opportunities to minister to them when no one else can because you've built a relationship with them. Just the other night, uh, I happened to be up on the, on, in the Northeast and had coffee with a friend of ours who just lost her husband. Okay? Her comment to me was, thank you for calling me. You can't believe how many people are, feel awkward now that her husband's gone. Okay? That's because my wife and I have shown love to them 
over the years, we have more than just a financial or ministry relationship. We have a personal relationship with them. And number five, the most fundamental step in ministry partnership development is a thank you letter, thank you note, or email, not a text. Okay? Texts are great for a lot of things, but it really doesn't communicate a lot of gratitude when you send a a text. And if you say thank you, you will be avoiding ingratitude. Now, what are some elements of a thank you letter? First, it's acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of the gift, the amount of the gift, the purpose of the gift, expressing appreciation for the gift. This should all be on your outline here. Okay. Well, then sign up and I'll send you the PowerPoint. Achievement of the gift. I really need about five hours to do this. And then reasons for your partner to give again. In other words, what is, what's the future look like? All right? So acknowledging the amount of the gift, the purpose of the gift, appreciation for the gift, what the gift achieves, what are the results, and reasons for your partners to give again. Now, what is effective ministry partnership development? And I know this is on your, on your outline. It's a presentation of the right cause. That's what God called you to do. To the right prospect, the person that you're developing that relationship with, by the right person, whoever has the best relationship with that person, asking for the right amount at the right time in the right way. That's what's going to be effective ministry partnership. Now, as you raise funds, you need to be asking yourself these three questions. Am I asking at the right time? Am I asking in the right amount? Am I asking for the right project? Because that's what motivates people. If you're asking for the right amount, if a church can provide 25% of your support, why are you only asking for 10%? If an individual is capable of giving $500, why are you only asking for 50 And I'll just say... One of the ways you find that out is if a person refers you to their friend, most people in America stay within the same social economic strata. So if person A, who's making the referral, is supporting you for $75 a month, the person they're referring you to probably also has the capacity to support you for $75 a month. If raising funds for individual support, pick and choose those projects which an individual might have a strong interest in funding. If you listen, they will tell you what's important to them. If you listen, they will let you know what to ask them for. If you answer those three questions about the time, the amount, and the project, that will allow you to raise funds much faster and build an even greater bond between you and your ministry partners. The sixth key is seeing individuals in person. Make time to visit with your ministry partners, with the person that you're asking them. Don't try to raise money by sending out a letter. It may feel better, but the results are are much, much less. You know, you may feel like, well, if they didn't respond, you know, the post office lost it, the dog must have eaten it, you know, I mean, any of those number of excuses. But the reality is 
with the sheer volume of people, male people get, plus the time that they have, it's very difficult for them to process everything. When you see them in person, you always want to report on ministry results, giving them the credit. All right? It's not what I did with their money, but it's what they were able to accomplish or what we were able to accomplish as ministry partners. Tell the story of changed lives. They want to know specifically what their ministry, what their gifts have resulted in the ministry. And show an interest in them. Ask questions. All right? Again, they will tell you more about themselves than you would ever plan to ask. I had a guy call me one time, and he said, guess what I just did? I just bought ten goats. Guess what I paid for them? Now, first of all, I really didn't care that he bought ten goats. Secondly, I never would have asked him what he paid for them. But he wanted me to, he wanted to tell me that he just spent $100,000 on ten goats. Okay? Now, this guy is one of those guys that everything, everything he touches turns to gold. Two of them died on the way being delivered, which I thought now's probably not the best time to ask for support. But then he told me he already sold two for $25,000 each. Four others were expecting, and he already had those sold at $10,000 each. Now, for those of you that aren't math wits, that's $90,000 out of a $100,000 investment. And he still had six of the goats left. Okay? You need to pray for your ministry partners. That's P-R-A-Y, not pray, P-R-E-Y. Okay? In terms of developing them, and I'm going to have to go through this fairly quickly, but I put it on your sheet. In the appointment itself, you need to be friendly and cordial. Most of you are going to be that naturally. Be open, be honest, be transparent, yet be professional. That's what's going to create a relationship. You need to establish rapport. Give a clear statement of purpose of why you're there. John and Mary, Brenda and I are here because we want you to prayerfully consider becoming a ministry partner with us to help reach people for Jesus Christ. Simple as that. You need to come up with your own statement of purpose, but you need to develop something along that line. Then discuss tentative benefits. What are the benefits for them becoming a ministry partner with you? Not what you think the benefits are. What will they think the benefits are? Talk about pertinent areas of interest and concern. You have to be sensitive here because it it can take a lot of time if you're not careful. But you do that by asking probing questions, questions that can't be answered yes or no. Relate their interests to the gospel if they're Christians. And then be friendly. In the presentation, this is where a lot of education and motivation takes place. You need to know the case for your ministry or your organization. Because there's two main elements. One is education, which increases their knowledge. That's what helps with the logic. And then motivation, the results. That's what increases their excitement and their vision for what it is God has called you to do. You need to have a brief testimony, either about how God 
called you into ministry or how God continues to call you into ministry. What is your specific involvement? What are you going to be doing? Believe it or not, people are interested, but you need to relate what you're going to be doing to the overall objective of the organization. Storytelling. Be prepared to tell stories. Spoke in a church. I was given three to five minutes. You know, all I could do was tell three stories. But if people listened, they understood what our ministry is about, given the three stories that I told about. And then check for understanding. Make sure they know what it is you're you're doing before you ask them to become a ministry partner. Now, in terms of a successful close, summarize the benefits. Again, those are the benefits of what the person says or thinks they are. Share the concept of partnership, that I'm asking you to become a partner, that together we might accomplish XYZ purpose. Share your specific financial need. Again, people want to meet your specific needs. Now, what I would not do is say, well, we need to raise $100,000. Would you give $50 a month? That would be sharing your specific financial need, but it would be hard for them to see how their gift is making an impact. So if you have a specific period of time, let's say you want to be on the field in three months, take that that $100,000, break it down by 12 weeks, and then use a weekly goal of this is what I'm asking God to supply within the next 12 weeks so I can be on the field by XYZ time. Ask for a particular dollar amount. If you don't know how much to ask for, at least ask for a range like or $50 a month. That's using a range. Ask in the right way like we talked about. Don't allow the person to say no to you personally. Then be quiet and allow the person to respond. It's going to sound like a long period of time, but generally it's just a few seconds. Then conclude the appointment with a review of the contribution process. What will they expect? that you want to develop a prayer team where you pray for them, they pray for you, you're going to be sharing prayer requests with one another. Then you ask for referrals, as we talked about earlier. Inclusion, be a friend raiser, not a fundraiser. Give your best to the work of the master. Don't do your support raising when you're tired or say, when I get around to it. I got cured of saying that when I get around to it, when some of my staff came in one day and they gave me this round piece of wood, and it was stained, and in the middle of it it said, T-U-I-T. They said, now you have a round to it? I went on, I want to hear that again. Come on, they're better grown than that. (laughs) All right. Realizing that according to the Apostle Paul, raising money is not something you do to people, but it's something you do for them. And I've listed these out on the sheet of all the different things that the Apostle Paul says. Grace will abound to you. You'll have all that you need. You'll have an abundance for every good work. The results of your righteousness will increase. You'll be made rich, so you'll be more generous. Thanksgiving will go to God from the asker. You will supply the needs of the ministry. Thanksgiving will go to God from the recipients. You will prove your position in Christ. Recipients will glorify God. Recipients will pray for the givers. And recipients will long to know the givers personally. 
Now, if you haven't picked up an outline, pick one up over there because all that's listed on there. We have a few minutes left. Be happy to answer any questions. Yes. No, that's, that's where you've got to get to the place that they're not giving the money to you. They're giving money to the ministry to accomplish the mission or the purpose of the organization. You're going to have a part in that. And the fact is, you're giving your lives. Okay, so yes, you may have resources right now, but you're walking away from all that to become involved. And so, you know, you need to be able to develop a, a gentle but loving response to address that. But unless people bring that up, be careful you don't bring up an objective, objection that they don't have. Yes? So meet just with the gentleman or meet with he and his wife or meet at a restaurant or meet at their home? Yes. <laughs> Seriously. I, it's always better to meet with the couple together. Okay? Because God says the two become one flesh. Secondly, uh, some people initially will rather meet at a restaurant or something because it's a neutral location. And they don't know you. They don't know whether you're a serial killer that's going to kill them if they, you come to their house or not. And definitely if you're a woman, you don't want to go to a house, you know, where the, the, there might be evil people. Okay? Some people prefer to meet in their office. If you're only meeting with the spouse that is the breadwinner for the family, they're used to making decisions at the office, and that's where they feel most comfortable making decisions. This is where getting to know the people, you know, comes in, into play. But I would always try to, A, meet with a couple, B, meet in their house, if not, meet in the office, and at the last meet in a, in a restaurant, unless you're a single person, then it's always better to meet in the, in the restaurant. Yes? Okay. How do you, so my husband and I are just, just getting started in this process, and we both spend a lot of our time in the church, and mm-hmm. we're trying to have more then you, then you, what you want to do is you want to ask her for a range. If you just have no idea what to ask for, ask for a range. But I would venture to say if there are people from your church and things like that, there's probably people in your church that you might feel comfortable with to say, would you mind helping us? Maybe you have more information about these people. I want to ask them for an appropriate amount. I don't want to over-challenge them, but I also don't want to under-challenge them. Let some people get involved that way. But if not, at least ask for a range. And generally, people are giving in the range of $100, to $100. But you always want to start with a higher amount and work down to the lower. Okay? And if they say, if you say $100 a month, $75 or $50 a month, and they say, gee, we'd really like to, 
but I don't think we can do that. Don't suggest another amount. Say, what amount would be appropriate? Let them tell you. Because they may be thinking we could do 40, and all of a sudden you say 25, and they say, okay, we'll do 25. Okay? Yes? Okay. Okay. Don't don't take this the wrong way, but that's the problem if you don't ask for an amount or at least give them a range, because they're trying to figure it out, you're trying to figure it out, and so you may have to go back to them and say, you know, I realize we didn't talk about a specific amount, but here's a range that most people are giving in. Would you prayerfully consider that range? And then here's a key. If I were to call you back next Friday night, would that give you and your spouse enough time to pray about this and have an answer for me? Whereas if you just say, can I call you back next Friday night, they'll say, sure. And they haven't made any commitment. But if you say, if I were to call you back next Friday night, would that give you enough time to pray about it with your spouse and have an answer? Now they've made a commitment, I will have an answer for you when you call. That has cut down 90% of my callbacks. Because it's no longer, you know, leaving a message and, you know, because I've given them a specific time when I'm going to call back and they've agreed to have an answer for me. Okay, I'm going to do one more and then we're going to have to break because of time. But I will stay here. The next group is not in here till four. So I'll be happy to answer questions up till the next time the next group comes in. Paul. We're trying to raise money for a medical clinic and we've been um, having fundraisers. Uh-huh. It seems like an awful lot of effort for a little return is uh, but it, it seems like it, it it also gets the word out I mean is that a good, a good way to do things I, I hate to give you the consultant's answer but it depends okay depends what your objective is if your objective is to raise visibility get the word out and give people an opportunity to give it's a great way to do it if your objective is to raise the money quickly, then that's probably not the, the easiest way to do it. Having people set up appointments for you, referrals, go with you, have individual appointments, that's going to be the most effective way to raise a substantial amount of money in a short period of time. Okay, if anybody needs to leave, you won't offend me, but I'm happy to stay here for the next 15 or 20 minutes. I saw a hand over here. Yes. Wait just one second. Let me just remind you about the outlines, and if you want to sign up for the PowerPoint presentation, do it over there. If you could be quiet so I can answer questions, that would be great. Yes.